welcome to Break the Mold. Think of this podcast as a place where you can get your dose of inspiration, motivation, and a shift in mindset as we invite extraordinary industry leaders and have real raw conversations of how they broke the mold in their industry and share tips on productivity, health, wellness, and everything in between. Hello, hello, beautiful people. My name is Jordana Fortaleza, founder of clean beauty brand, The Lifestyle Co. I am obsessed with everything self-care and have a passion for helping people be the best versions of themselves. With over a decade of valuable experience in business, I was inspired to launch The Life Academy. I am so excited to start this new journey with you. Hello everyone, I'm Diane Carante. I am a multifaceted publicist with a passion to elevate brands to their highest potential. My life mission is to never lose sight of your inner power. Micah Burhard breaks the mold as a worldly fascination in her own right utilizing her inquisitive talents and love for outdoor adventure. She integrates her purpose and influential career in social global change on creating unusual connections and focusing on world issues. Micah talks with us on how her passion for rock climbing and being driven to better focused solutions has led her to a worldwide career portfolio as a spokesperson social entrepreneur, film producer, becoming the founder of Legato, an international organization that helps secure thriving futures, and as best-selling author on parenthood and self-purpose exploration. I saw the book that you had launched. I think it's such an incredible story. It looks like you're just an adventure seeker and just kind of with everything. Oh, it's been really awesome to have it in the world for the past two and a half months. It kind of, um, yeah, part of it, I think, led me to have really wonderful conversations with people like you guys. So I'm jazzed to connect. Okay, well, um, welcome to Break the Mold, Micah. Thank you for coming on. I'll let Diane start with the questions. It's really interesting because you rarely meet women who are really strong forward on that outdoor adventure environmental world as like active lifestyle that you do rock climbing and then you also find a passion in it. And so that you use that as like, you know, your foundation for your career and how you, you know, want to protect mother earth and do all the things. So I just wanted to like, let's want to just see how you got into rock climbing and how from there it just kind of, you know, folded out on all your other ventures, you know, into making it a mission and cultural awareness. Yeah, I so I grew up in Minnesota, which was not a rock climbing mecca. Surprise, yeah, surprise. <laughs> I grew up back in the Midwest, in... <laughs> so I know what you mean. Especially Flat. back in the seventies and eighties. <laughs> yeah, um, but I was a really passionate outdoor enthusiast. I was a skier. I was a ski racer. I was really into canoeing. You name it, being outside was how I wanted to be in the world. And I found my way to climbing in at a at a summer camp and loved the combination of the difficulty of it as well as the simplicity and intensity. So what I mean by that is that climbing was something that really resonated with me that you could be totally focused on it. And it became like this vertical puzzle and that I could solve with my body and with my mind. And I put myself in climbing's path however I could, such that by my early 20s, I was a full-time climbing guide and became a professional climber shortly thereafter. However, for me, climbing 
was not the only thing I wanted to do with my life. Um, I was always sort of blessed slash cursed with a really active brain and an equal penchant for doing something like mm, running the United Nations. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that's huge that's- though. Not everybody <laughs> can do that. <laughs> that's used to, I used to tell people that's what I wanted to do when I was a kid. So, you know, um, wow. I don't want to run the UN anymore, but uh-huh. <laughs> I did really want to be part of a, you know, a bigger global dialogue and global action. And for me, that meant that I had to smash climbing up against what became social entrepreneurship um, and led me to expand my career beyond being a pro climber and to create the organization I run today, which is called Legato, which builds what we call thriving futures with indigenous and local people in some of the most biodiverse places in the world. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. So can you expand on that, on what exactly is a social entrepreneur, and then also um, talk about what you guys do at Legato? Yeah. So <laughs> a social entrepreneur is someone who tries really hard to, to do things that yeah. can seem impossible. Uh, that's a really cheeky response, but sometimes okay. it feels true. Uh, you know, I really think about- I love social the term, en- though. <laughs> I do, too. I was like, social entrepreneur, yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, a social entrepreneur is someone who's trying to solve social challenges and problems with an entrepreneurial mindset. Um, so, you know, bringing new thinking, new teams, and you know, like the way I think about it is, you know, picking up something, taking it apart, trying to put it together back in a new formation and saying, does this work, but doing it for the greater good. So that's really how I would define social entrepreneurship. And for Legato, what that means that we do is we actually, so we work right now in Mozambique, Kenya, and Peru. And we started out working in a more traditional conservation focus in these high biodiversity areas. And we realized that in order to drive the conservation goals that we had, that we had to stop being the one setting the goals with the communities we were working with. And what I mean by mm-hmm. that is that having our agenda take priority was not the way to actually build trust, to build agency and to reach a bigger picture of that thriving future until we got out of the way. And we started working with our local communities and saying, what are all of the things that you want to put together across your education, your health, your governance, and your biodiversity protection so that you have that thriving future? And how can we backstop you with the tools and the partnerships and the resources to make that happen? So that. You guys yeah, that's them. you're empowering them at, essentially at that point, empowering them. Yeah, exactly. Their, and, yeah. and really, you know, you know, putting really working for us on a higher level of, you know, systems change, which I'm someone who thinks systems change is really cool <laughs> in that yeah. space and to be able to say, wow, what if we can shift this? What if we can decolonize the way conservation and development have been done when oftentimes they're, it's like a solution from the outside that's that's then taken into a local environment versus supporting the people who are the rightful stewards of that local environment to create their own yeah. container of everything that they want to drive and saying, Hey, by the way, your solution works for me or it doesn't. So no, thank you. Or yes, please. But here's how I'd like to do it on my terms. So, you know, Legato's in a really cool position right now because we have more demand than we can meet from partnerships in Rwanda and Indonesia and Ethiopia and beyond. But I started with $11,000 and a batshit crazy idea and rock climbing. That's, that's honestly, that's, that's insanely amazing. I I don't think we've met. Yeah. I don't think we've met or personally uh, like me or, you know, have with someone that has that sort of like motivation to go into these countries and, you know, 
um, explore and also like introduce like a better awareness of how they can change their lifestyle and, you know, for their own better, like good. Right. So what kind of like missions do you deal with? Like as far as any specific, is it like, you know, education, is it, you know, bringing in new water or I don't know, like what, how specific do you guys get? Yeah. That's a great, so that's a great question. So what we actually do is we work with communities as well as local or regional organizations that support them to set an entire suite of what we call a legacy plan. So legato means legacy in Portuguese and Spanish, Mm -hmm. and they put together a legacy plan. (laughs) Well, for those or maybe your listeners who don't have that. Um, so, so they put together a legacy plan and that legacy plan articulates all of these priorities and goals that get down to the level of nuance that you're talking about. Right. So, um, Mm -hmm. in Mount Namuli in Mozambique, it is having legal rights and land tenure. Um, it is creating one of the country's first community conservation areas. It's driving, uh, the, you know, their healthcare needs forward and creating a health outpost, which will be the first to serve the 24,000 people who live there. So things wow, get really okay. tactile, um, and also are in service of these bigger priorities, which are about, you know, the interconnectedness of their health along with the health of their forests and how to how to reduce the pressure on their forests and on the tree cutting that's happening there and the burning that's happening there, because a lot of it is to, is to find income to be able to pay for Mm -hmm. the other needs that are there. So all these things are interlinked, which sounds obvious when you say it. And yet oftentimes the solutions are not interlinked. So Legato really kind of steps aside, you know, from a siloed way of thinking about it and puts everybody in the middle and says, how do we look at this truly intersectionally and do it in a way so that you have women, you have youth, you have current leaders and emerging leaders making these decisions about what needs to Mm -hmm. happen to again, achieve that thriving future. Even inspired by this is something that you wanted to do. I know with obviously with like rock climbing and, you know, you obviously wanting more than that, but like, what was it in that time of your life that made you kind of just have this like light bulb happen? Yeah. You know, for me, I have been following this path, like I said, of smashing climbing up against this bigger global citizenship for my whole life and kind of trying Mm -hmm. on different ways of doing it. So it began, you know, when I actually, it's funny, I just went to my 25th college reunion and also the 25th reunion of a group of women who all went and climbed Denali um, up in Alaska to raise awareness around breast cancer. And I was Mm -hmm. 21 at the time. And it really started me on this path of, of where are the authentic connections between climbing and advocacy. And that morphed for me when I was in my late twenties, I was in Ethiopia um, and I was climbing there. And I, at that point I had been writing articles quite a bit um, and had, you know, kind of paired that into my career as a climber and was approached to do a book about how climbing in Ethiopia could potentially, you know, unlock this hidden side to Ethiopia and maybe bring droves of climbers there, which, which also have a financial <laughs> impact uh, for Ethiopia right. at the time. Now there's, I will honestly tell you that my book about Ethiopia did not create droves of climbers, you know, single-handedly uh-huh. changing the economics of Ethiopia. But it sparked but it something, did, right? Yeah. That's cool. It did. Yeah. And yeah. what it did was really open me to say, how do we use these passions to create bigger global conversations? And then 
you know, my personality is such that I'm a, I get really obsessed with things, especially if I don't know a lot about them. Mm. Um, and so when I found out about that, there was potentially climbing to do in Mozambique, which is where this started. I said, wait a second, what kind of climbing is there to do in Mozambique? And why haven't I thought about that before? And what would happen if I started learning more? And that's when, you know, everything exploded into climbing with bringing scientists onto a vertical granite wall to find new species to science, to then working with the local community around Mount Namuli in Mozambique mm-hmm. to really launch what is now Legato. Wow. That's really well, cool. So you seek out specific officials and to like work with them and present them a case study and then see where they take it from there. We actually do something radically different than that, which is we work at an individual level with community members. And we start out by saying, by working with them about what their, what their legacy is and start like literally running workshops with them. We call them convenings where we work together to talk about what individual legacy is, what a community legacy is. We work at the sort of village level and get to those villages by bicycle, by motorbike, mm-hmm. you name it, um, inside of a larger community and help create what's what, you know, collective action and community consensus towards this big planning. So it's really different than working with what is like an established group of, I'm using my hands, even though we're not <laughs> on yeah. video, established work yeah. of quote unquote leaders. It's really okay. saying, how do we create um, a movement and help support the movement that you have toward the things that you're trying to achieve? And that plan that's made is their plan, not our plan. Yeah. And like, has there been, um, are the, are there things that are in motion still right now or has there like been success stories or, you know, what has been the, yeah. So a lot of different success stories on Mount Namuli in Mozambique, mm-hmm. for example, um, all the communities have legal rights to their land or land tenure, as well wow. as over 6,000 families that have been titled the majority in a woman's name because it's a matrilineal inheritance system, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is a really Oh, that really fact. shifted then. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, huge. That really sh- um, we're on our way to become, to supporting communities, to become the first, um, community concert, one of the first, excuse me, community conservation areas in Mozambique. Um, there are in Kenya, they, inside of a larger health priority to increase community health care and to do it a, inside of Samburu traditions. The Nigalai community just built the first maternity shelter that they've ever had. And they did it so that it was in Samburu birth tradition of attached to a local clinic so that mamas to be or mamas who are having another baby could have access to both traditional and conventional medical support while giving birth to babies. That's fascinating to me. I'm yeah. I'm blown away with all the things that you're doing. <laughs> me too. So Very I'm incredible. just like, whoa, I'm just, you just educated me on all of the things that you <laughs> yeah. guys are doing at Legato. And how do you balance that out as a mother? And because you're so focused on this, like a global humanitarian cause, how do you get to balance all of this and also being this amazing mother? <laughs> Well, yeah, how do you balance I, uh, your personal uh, life with, yes. with the world? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It is such a tricky, one of the ways I do it is by scrapping the whole notion of balance. Um, I think that we've mm-hmm. kind of bought into this idea that there is some balance to be achieved. And when we achieve it, it feels good. And I think the reality is that most things feel like a loose tooth since I have twin, almost seven year olds. We have a lot of loose teeth in our oh. life right now. Right. Oh, and it's like, twins. You have twins. <laughs> oh yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Seven years old. Super fun. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when you have a loose tooth, it hurts. Let's take a quick break and talk about the Lifestyle Co. Botanical Beach Mess. It has clean ingredients like aloe, lavender, and tea tree oil to help moisturize and hydrate your sun-drenched skin. Best part, it doubles as a natural toner and is a perfect accessory for summer. You can purchase it on thelifestyleco.com. That's life with a Y. And for our listeners, we have a special discount code for you. Break the mold for 20% off. Now let's get back to the show. It feels good when you wiggle it, right? It hurts, but you keep doing it. And I think that's really what we're after in life versus this idea of, you know, there's some nirvana that we're all striving for where everything that we're doing is being done at the exact right percentage to feel kind of like, holy. And I don't, I don't think that's possible. So for me, how I, how I kind of, I I think instead of balance, this is, this is sort of classic, my personality. I'm like, no, I just like kind of smash these things together. Right. It's like (laughs) how I smash legato up against motherhood and against my life as a pro climber is by saying, Hey, I can do all these things. I'm not going to do them all in the same amount every day. That's actually not the goal. The goal is for me to be able to touch those parts of my life in some way um, on a weekly basis and make sure that I'm driving big picture toward them. And that lets me be the mom that I want to be and grow and learn and fail and try again um, alongside of running Legato and growing Legato and can maintain my career as a climber. It seems like you've had it all together. I actually was reading one of the excerpts of your book. It says here, this is a deeply affecting book. It must be a must read for anyone who struggled through the feeling of losing yourself to parenthood and hopefully finding another version on the other side. I love that. So can you expand on that more? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's from Emily Oster, who's just an incredible just advocate for parenting and, and mothering. And is she has parent data, the podcast and the and the website and the news information. And I, you know, for me, that story is when I found out that I was pregnant, I freaked out because I was 38. Um, I thought, oh man, I spent my whole life not being pregnant. <laughs> and yeah. now how am I going to do this? And then very quickly after that, when I was about seven weeks along, I found I was going to have twins. And my idea of saying, oh, I've got this really disappeared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and instead... I turned to writing my kids and also speaking audio letters to them to say, I don't have this. And I am so scared about what this is, but I'm also so determined. And here's what it looks like when you feel all of those things. Because what I found is that I desperately wanted to find my own mom who was a working mom when I grew up. And I wanted to like suddenly have this portal back to her. That's how I opened the book. I wanted this portal back to my Mm -hmm. mother to say, oh my gosh, wait, no, no, no. How did this really feel? But my mom, couldn't go back in time 38 years. She's like, I don't know. I sort of did it. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not enough information. I need way more information, (laughs) right? Like what's happening in my heart and my head on a daily basis as I process this feels like I need way more. And so I wanted to give that to my kiddos. And I wrote really just to survive this. And then, you know, it wasn't until the kids were about three years old that I realized it was going to be a book. And so what came out in more is a very, like, I mean, honest doesn't even begin to describe it. It's just this kind of deeply personal and deeply truth-telling account of what it really feels like to go through early motherhood um, and how it feels in marriage, how it feels to be in this thing, quote unquote, together with a partner that doesn't feel like it's together at all and feels like it's in mm. fact quite lonely. Um, and again, to to want it, and I love my kiddos, and to have that love smushed up against these deep questions of how do I balance this with also loving my career? And, you know, am I doing this 
in a way that's ultimately going to be good for anybody. And it's, it's, um, yeah, it's like the conversation you have with your closest friends, but I decided to put it out there in the world. And not a lot of people talk about that stuff, right? Like sometimes exactly. a lot of people, they kind of, um, everyone's, you know, have kids, by the way, you inspire me because in my mind, I'm going to have a kid, my kids, my twins at 38. <laughs> and so you know, <laughs> I love see, it. Yeah, no, it's like, that's how I always see my life going. And I, I still have my career and I so many things I want to do before then, but you just kind of inspired me by just seeing you and how amazing, you know, you're doing with all the things that you have going on in your life by having it all essentially, in my opinion, I think that you can have it all and you mm -hmm. can kind of balance all of that together with your, you know, your career, your family, your personal life, your kids, all of that being a mom. And that was just really inspiring to hear. And like I mentioned, I don't think a lot of people talk truthfully sometimes about their experience because they're going to get judged by they think like oh you're not being a good mom or dad or whatever if it's hard sometimes it really I, I know yeah, like, yeah. It's, hard. <laughs> it's hard and yeah. people talk about it well it's almost like we've decided that we can talk about it in hard about it being hard if it's in passing does that make sense it's yes. like it's hard but I solved it so it's it's mm -hmm. but what we're not doing is we're not sitting in the icky exactly. and I think that like being in that icky is what welcomes other people to have that experience and then it really starts shifting things like how we understand how we do things like you know paid family leave how we redistribute gender and domestic work uh, you know excuse me gender domestic work I think all those things are key if we can start with the human intersection of it. But if we, if we're continuing to kind of like plasticize what it's really like, I don't think we're able to work together to actually make these big yeah. changes that make at a bigger institutional and political level. Absolutely. And, I, and yeah, the book is like the first start to open those conversations. Yeah. Up because like I mentioned, you know, there's, there's also that, again, that judgment from other people, especially with social media, if you're ever talking about it in a way that's just maybe triggering to some people, I think that the way that you're sharing your story is pretty keeping it real and it's inspiring. Oh, and I think well, like I you break the that. standards as well. Like I think you, you're able to, Oh, I don't know. You're just a, a solution finder for yeah. that's like what I'm grabbing from all of this, which is awesome because nobody thinks that way. Everyone wants to pull back or just stay complacent or like, okay, that's the standard. But I think that's, it's really inspiring that you have a, a finesse for finding solutions or seeing what the root of it and just branching from it in a in the best positive way, whether it's like a global thing or your whatever you have going on at home, um, what you just see in front of you, I think that's really remarkable. Well, I think it's kind of crazy if you, I mean, think yeah. having children is one of the most normal things you can do, right? Yet yeah. it is still so darn hard. Yeah. And part of what makes it hard is that we still suck at talking about it. Right? Yes. Yeah. Like, what is wrong yeah. with this? Why, like, what is, what's missing? How do we do this right. better? And is part yeah. of how we do this better by just removing some of the veiling that happens, but not removing the veil in some sort of like Instagram cheesy way, but exactly. really doing it and yeah. saying, Hey, here's who I am. Here's what happened to me today and allowing the space for other people to meet us there as parents. And, you know, mothers predominantly are who the who are who I think we need to support, but also all parents who are part of that journey, because we can't have a binary and not bring all parents into that discussion. Yeah. yeah. I know that with my fiance, you know, he's, he, he was an educator and, um, you know, he really studied child psychology and he always was very clear to me. And he was always told me, think that it's easy, but it's not. I, I've been working with these kids my whole life. And it's something that people don't talk about. 
And I really love that you have this book out because I think that there's a lot of women that we've spoken to also that are new moms that have gone through sorry, postpartum depression. Post, there you go. Postpartum depression. Yeah. You know, and that's a very common thing and men have it too. And if there was just a safe space for everyone to have an open dialogue about it in a more normalized way, I think that there could be a lot of, a lot more support and a lot more mentally prepared people into whenever they go into parenthood. Yeah. And I, you know, I think about postpartum depression a lot because I didn't have postpartum depression, but what I, I think that there, sometimes you have to have these extremes to be able to give more support to everybody at the extremes and in the middle. So you can think about people who have some like, you know, seemingly non nonplussed by the whole parenthood journey. Nobody is really like that, but let's just pretend that's one side. And then you have people who are like, have really deep and really serious postpartum depression. There's like 98% of the people who are in the middle. Right. And if mm-hmm. we can't, like, we need to be able to talk about that also. So bringing postpartum depression more into light. I just watched um, the great uh, Brooke Shields biography recently. Oh, I need talk- to videography. It's really good. You know, it talks about her work around that and, you know, shifting the narrative there, we alongside of that is also, there is such this range of how we experience parenthood and motherhood. And it, it goes back to what I was saying before that it's, it's having this open dialogue and it's allowing people to land there safely and land there safely to say something like today really is hard. And in this moment, this morning, like I really question if I should be a parent, which doesn't mean you should not be a parent and doesn't mean you're a bad parent and doesn't mean you don't like your kids, but it's giving space. And, and, and as I said, allowing a safe space for people to say, holy cow, how is it possible to ping pong around and all of these emotions and come out the other side, not raw and ragged and Mm -hmm. like, and less of a parent than I want to be. And I think in some ways that's some of the fracturing that we have in our families is that like, there's so much, you know, it's like another, I hadn't thought about it like this before, but it's another way to have the mental load that women typically shoulder in relationships and domestically. But then there's also this mental load that we have in the society of how we appear as mothers versus being able to show up who we, as who we actually are. And it becomes unsustainable. And I think that it, it leads to major schisms and to families that, that like have a hard time sustaining that. Well, I mean, it seems obviously in your journey, you've had a lot of kind of figured it out for you and how it works for you. So I guess what my question is, what kind of advice would you want to share to our listeners for breaking the mold in your position or finding their own path in their own way, if they're wanting to do something beyond themselves? Beyond just being, because I think that's important too, right? I think absolutely, one, it's duality of who you are. And it's, I think that being a parent is one. And then there's also you as a person and what you absolutely. Want. And I think everybody, and, uh, you know, I refer to it since the book came out that everybody has a more, right? Like my more has climbing in it. Um, that's not going to be everybody's jam, but everybody mm-hmm. has a more than no one is in these singular isolated positions, whether they are a parent or not. And it's like, how do we start having, how do we divorce the conversation away from having it all and start saying like having a more that's on our own terms and support each other toward that. And right. I think that the advice that I would give people is first of all, to create what I would call a real net to have people in your life and in your corner who you can talk to about that. And if you don't have them, then go find them and make that micro community. It does not have to be a big community during COVID. It was myself um, and two other girlfriends that met and, you know, tailgated in a dirt parking lot, six feet away from each other and talked about this. Right. And it's fine. Mm -hmm. 
is finding a way (laughs) to actually, you know, find people who are trying to pursue a similar intersection that you can really be honest to and don't give up because maybe you're not being real enough to find those people if you haven't felt, if you haven't found them and the vulnerability to find them will in the end, I think be good for us all. I think the other thing we need to realize is that, man, like the work is not done yet to actually be breaking the ceilings and the barriers and into the conversations that we need to be having, especially as women. I think that, you know, I'm 46 and I grew up and I went to college and I thought, oh, that's really cool. It's, you know, all that fighting for equity was, you know, great job, everybody. Now I'm going to be able to really benefit from this. And then suddenly you become a parent and there are systems working on you that you didn't even think still existed. And it is staggering. Mm -hmm. And I think it can feel crushing. And so therefore I think that the way that we need to handle that is say, roll up our sleeves and say, it's so not done. Like it's not done. And what we need to do is get involved. And that's everything from you know, looking at what's happened with Roe versus Wade to going back to what I was saying about like paid family leave, about like bringing in these, these dialogues. And on the one hand, it can be really easy to be overwhelmed by that, right? Like the world is big. There's a lot happening right now. It's like, oh man, I got to get active out there. But on the other hand, you can also be inspired by it and say, I actually, I think we got complacent in the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. I think our generation was complacent and I don't think we can afford to be complacent anymore. And we shouldn't have done it in the first place. Yeah. We totally agree with you on that. Like, I think if people were more open to listening to and understanding different sides and trying to just understand, I think there would be a better translation or how people communicate and, you know, we could be in a better place on all of everything that you're talking about um, so that we're not so like complacent and stagnant in whatever we're the stigma or isms that you've touched on. I think that's a that's a huge thing. And that's something to really just like open up as like that conversation in a big way. Yeah, I think it, I think it becomes really powerful and I think it's a way that yeah. we can contribute and also benefit from it. I, mean, 100%. I think that you're such an inspiring woman. What is next for you? Yeah, so I'm going to Peru on Saturday. Oh my <laughs> so God, I'm jealous. Is me making sure I have my passport uh, so that yeah. I can go be with our new program that's in the Machiganga, Megan Tony landscape, kind of on the backside of Machu Picchu and go work with our whole Peruvian team. So I'm super jazzed. We have some of our amazing uh, donor community who are coming with us to see the work in person and contribute to it. So that's really, really fun. And also, you know, continuing to have conversations. We said it, I think, before we were recording today that, yeah. as I said, I wrote more by accident. And when I decided to put it in the world, I said, what if other people want to be having the same conversation? And that led me to have this conversation with the two of you today. So what's next for me is diving into these conversations and create, continuing to create spaces for people to show up and feel welcome and to go bigger. And where can everyone find you? Oh, heck yeah. So you can go to (laughs) micaburhart.com, M-A-J-K-A. B-U-R-H-A-R-D-T. You can also just Google my first name and find me. You can find me on Instagram at Micah Burhart. And you can check out Legato from those places or at legatoinitiative.org. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Micah. <laughs> you, are, you are a force to be reckoned with. Like, I enjoyed For sure. Um, thank you so much for coming on. We had such a blast. And I'm so inspired by all your work. And 
I want to catch new episodes every other Wednesday like, on iTunes, Yay! Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast as we invite Please, new Please, yeah, well, I can't wait to connect mold. further about it. Thanks for having also, me today. Also, make sure I'm to visit really us excited online at breakthemold.com for updates and follow us on Instagram Have an amazing trip to Peru! Yeah, safe travels and all the best on your mission. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye.